Welcome everyone to Overcome Podcast, and today I'm going to uh, quote Bernardo Faria and say it's a huge honor to have uh, Kendall rising with us today. It's amazing. Thank you very much, Kendall, for joining. I appreciate. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me, and also for dealing with the airport craziness. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Kendall. So. I reached out to you as soon as you had the ADCC injury. Uh, it was such a touchy moment, uh, mainly when we all saw the video that you recorded at the hospital. Uh, everyone was really praying and, and rooting for you. Um, so at that time, one thing that caught my attention was not the fact that the injury was pretty bad, but how you reacted, because you basically recorded that video kind of smiling at the same time crying, but super positive. Um, and I remember you saying things, uh, one thing that you said was, I had many injuries, but this one is different. Why did you feel it was so different? Man, I, for a couple of reasons. One, that was probably the most drastic. I dislocated my elbow one time in a wrestling match, but other than that, that was the most drastic injury I've had mid-match. And a couple of things that made it so extreme were, one, the pain was like the worst thing I've ever felt. I've had some bad injuries and all was the absolute worst. But it was so drastic because this was an event that I had looked at as the Olympics my entire life. And so to feel like I was at a place where I was so capable of winning, I really, really believed I was going to win. I could feel the, like just the energy was there. Everything was there. Everything had fit into place. And to have that ripped away while it was like feeling like I was on top of the mountain, like someone just kicked me off the mountain <laughs> was really devastating Two, it was probably the most extreme hospital experience I've ever had. I had like a panic attack in the hospital. I had bad reactions to drugs. It was really, really horrible. But three is this is the injury that I've had with the most lifetime experience I've ever had. So what I mean by that is this is different than others because while this was so like life changing and career changing and really horrible in the moment and drastic and intense, it also came with the knowledge and the proof of my past experiences of like, well, every single injury I've had, even though I can't feel it in the moment, led to something better every single time when I look back at my, the history of my life. So it was different for, it was different than all of my other injuries for those three reasons. Interesting. Um, but it's inter what is even more interesting is that at the beginning, you were very scary about the diagnosis and everything, uh, surgery. It looks like you, you didn't really go on that direction and you are healing naturally. Is that correct? Man, it's crazy. Yeah, that's correct. So when I was in the hospital in Vegas, the three orthopedic surgeons came and they told me that my ACL, MCL and LCL were completely torn, that I had a tibial fracture and uh, that my patella had dislocated. And they said that this could be career ending or minimum 18 months recovery or like 12 to 18 months recovery minimum, major surgeries, probably more, more than one. So here I am in the hospital with this huge tragedy and they're telling me my career could be over. Wow. So yeah, they did a CAT scan and they hadn't done an MRI yet. They had said, we're in a trauma center, it was crazy. So they were like, yeah, with the MRI, uh, you have to stay overnight and you have to stay by yourself. So I was like, oh, hell no. So I went to, went back home, uh, got back home. We did an MRI. My doctor was like, look, it's probably, you're probably not going to need surgery. The way that a patella dislocates, because you can see it very clearly in the video. Um, so it was obviously it was a patella dislocation. 
And he was like, the way that a patella dislocates, you usually don't even tear the other ligaments based on the way the patella has to move. So immediately I was like, oh, okay, well, this is obviously a lot better than we thought. Mm-hmm. And anyway, it turns out after the MRI and a couple weeks go by um, that I have a patella dislocation. I have no torn lig- ligaments other than my MPFL, which is what connects the uh, patella. And that it's very likely that I won't need surgery as long as I'm super, super diligent. So I've been really on top of physical therapy and on top of all my recovery, not pushing it where past where it needs to go and being very patient. And I did a check-in with my doctor last week and he said that we're ahead of schedule and it's looking like maybe a couple more months till I'm able to do jiu-jitsu again, but I probably won't need surgery. So I've been very, very fortunate. It's like best case scenario. That's amazing news. Two months to have you back training is, is amazing. And that leads me to the next question is, how are you dealing with this whole downtime from the mental aspect? Because for someone that is so active like you, always training, always pushing yourself, suddenly you have to drop everything. And I know that you always stay positive, but there is a mental aspect that you probably keep battling over and over, not being able to do what you love to do. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is where the experience of other injuries comes in. I've been lucky. I would say at a very young age, I'm 25, I've been lucky to experience a lot of tragedy and a lot of hardships in my life. And I think that I've learned so many times to craft my identity outside of my sport. And that's really difficult when you're someone whose sport is their career. And so it really, in essence, it's crafting my identity outside of my career, outside of my social media presence, outside of jiu-jitsu completely, outside of teaching. Um, like when you strip all those things away, because those things can be taken away, who am I and why do I love and respect myself? Why do the people in my life love and respect me? So I think because I've focused so much on that with injuries in the past, like I had a really major back injury Uh, two years ago that returned earlier this year. So I was actually injured going into ADCC. That was a whole other journey. That was a whole other story. (laughs) um, So I have the history of crafting this image of myself or my my sense of knowing of myself without those things. So when they were taken away, instead of going into like, oh my God, my career or this big thing that I lost, there was about 48 hours maybe or 36 hours or so of having it be really, really difficult to process. But that's something that may use, like in the past, maybe it would have taken me weeks or months. I'm a lot faster at processing now. And so immediately we went into like, okay, why well, don't want to bypass these emotions. Let me feel them. Let me really accept like how devastating this is for the moment. And if feelings come up, I let myself feel them. I don't try to push them away because usually for me that gets them bigger trouble because they grow more and <laughs> just under the surface until they come out. But it was like, okay, well, great. Let's focus on all these other projects. Let's do some other stuff. It's very hard for me not to be active, but it opened up a lot of other positions for me to be like, okay, I, I just started my podcast. Actually. Yeah, I, 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 I saw that. Podcast. Congratulations. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. I'm really enjoying it. So the first episode will be out December 3rd, but everything's set up. I've been recording. So it's called Get a Grip with Kim Rusing. So podcast got started, all of my travel and seminars and everything got canceled, obviously, for the end of the year. All my fights got canceled. So it gave me an opportunity to be with my family um, right after the tournament. My grandma passed away. And if I would have been out of town, I wouldn't have been able to be with my family. And like we did all these things together we went on a, a little family vacation which we haven't done in eight years after the funeral i mean just all of these things happened where if i had if everything had gone as planned i wouldn't have had the opportunity 
to be challenged and grow in new ways at this moment in life. So I have the podcast, I'm relaunching my coaching program called Jiu-Jitsu Accelerator, and I'm working really, really hard on that right now, which I wouldn't have had the capacity to do. So, I mean, look, I'm not going to look back and say I'm so happy that I went through this experience. I probably will someday. I mean, it's still it's so fresh, but the truth is that I, I don't have any regrets. I don't watch the match and think I should have done something differently. It's just this is the path I'm supposed to be on. So it is difficult at times, and being act, being not active is, is very, very difficult for me, but um, there's a lot of other stuff. Well, really but it's amazing. It's truly amazing how you're handling that because I was impressed that one week after you were extremely positive. I'm like, wow, she just flipped the switch. It's, it's Not everyone is able to do that. Uh, and that's why I was so impressive on how you react and how you cope and then how you immediately start to encourage people to do the same. So I think that that's quite outstanding. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. It comes with a lot of practice and a lot of good uh good people around me and good sources of information and a lot of hard lessons <laughs> yeah and um, one classic sentence uh, from the DCC uh, that you probably remember of course you remember is I love this shit right so that yeah. classic <laughs> sentence uh, when you were uh, leaving the mat um, and we by the way we're still waiting for the t-shirt when that uh, if it feels so natural when you go to the match do you ever feel nervous or any pressure to perform well because it just feels very natural it just feels like you are enjoying but at the same time you know you are on the high most prestigious stage do you do you, do you get nervous and how you how you deal with that yeah it's funny because looking back at that clip um it's almost like the state you get into compete at a professional level is like an altered state and like i don't walk around all the time with that that height of emotion i mean that is like a very very heightened space i can't just like walk onto a mat and like feel that that comes with a lot of intention and a lot of preparation and um and a lot of practice so i would say that i've always gotten nervous every single time i've stepped onto a mat every single time i compete since i was five years old so for 20 years i've always been nervous competing um with no exception but instead of channeling that into fear i because if you think about it, like anxiety and excitement are really the same reaction in the body, right? So it's where we decide to route our brain in one direction or the other that is in our control and gives you either power or gives you a difficult situation to deal with. So I just focus on channeling all of that emotion into excitement. And so really when I say like, I love this shit, it's like, because that's what we, we put everything in into that box. So like backstage at ADCC, when I was warming up, I had this, I have this playlist, I'm probably going to share it, but it's like my ADCC playlist that I use in all the training sessions leading up and I use it in the warm-ups in between matches, things like that. Um, it just is like, it's intense, but it's like good vibes. So as the songs are on, I'm like dancing around and I'm moving and I'm looking at uh, looking at my coaches, my mindset coach and Saul, my sister Emma, and I'm like, oh my dude, I feel so good. Like I've never felt so happy in my life. Like I'm so happy. Like I just love to be here. And it was really shifting the focus from like, oh I have to win like that pressure you asked about pressure I used to put a lot of pressure on myself and um the truth is like that's imaginary like I didn't get what I wanted to in this competition in a very drastic way and I still love my life mm -hmm. and honestly like that like my life's going to be the same from one day to the other if I decide that it's going to be the same if I say that this is the most important thing in the world and if I don't get it then I'm a failure then that's true right yep. but if I say okay this is a really big tournament i'm really excited about it i've been looking forward to it for a long time but i already love my life now today 
like already as is. I don't need this to fill some hole or some gap that I don't have. So if I already love my life today, then I go and do the tournament. It's like, you can't, I mean, human emotions are human emotions. You're going to feel heightened. You're going to feel upset. You're going to feel excited, whatever, disappointed. But then the next day, as you keep going, the faster you can process the emotion and get back into like, okay, well, I still love my life. Like, because I know I'm confident that I can do that, the pressure can go off going into the tournament because I know afterward that I'm going to be okay regardless. So if you have that freedom, then it's like, okay, well, I'm still going to feel that human emotion. I'm still going to have that physical sensation. Where do I want to channel that? And then, so for me, we decided with my mindset coach and all my coaches, it's like, we're going to channel that into like, man, I love this shit. Like, I'm so excited to be here. So when I said that, I felt that way before the match and after the match and in yeah. the match when I got taken down, you know, like even after I got taken down, I was like, all right, this is cool. I love this. Like, let's go. Yeah. So yeah, I just it it was it was intentional though. It's very intentional, and anybody can channel that. It's not like a special thing because we all get nervous. Well, but uh, you said it right. Everyone can do it. But I I bet you that this is is a skill. You develop this over time with experience. Probably in the yeah. beginning of your black belt career, you were not as well crafted no. like you are today. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've been a combat athlete since I was five, so I've had a lot of practice. So I've had so much experience. And what we decided with my coaches, like leading up, was that I've always had my strongest attribute be my mindset. And that's something that we've always said as far as like in wrestling and jiu-jitsu. I've beaten so many people who are really like better or more experienced than I am. Um, because I have this mental fortitude and I have this excitement when I go into the mat. So I've been strong in that category for a long time and I've been had a lot of great mentors and read a lot of books and listened to good podcasts and informed myself with that. But this was more like my mindset coach, Mindset Mike calls it like weaponizing my mind, right? And so we make my mind my greatest weapon. So the jiu-jitsu is gonna be what it's gonna be. That's like in another category, that's Saul's job, that's my job to make sure that is sharp but the, with my mindset coach we decided like okay we're going to weaponize this as if it's like a new skill set that we're learning and so we just sharpened it up we made it more specific and um we really fine-tuned it yeah so it's absolutely a skill set but uh you took things to the next level but as since you start so young and you have such a huge influence of your father your father also play a, a role on building this strong mindset right yeah i would say my my father and my mother Because my parents are both black belts, but really outside of just jujitsu, like they're really experienced people who have had to develop their own mindsets in a lot of different areas. My mom has a PhD in Jungian psychology, so you're going to be hard pressed to find someone who understands uh, <laughs> the mind, the minds better than than she does. And so I think between the two of them, they just gave me so many skills coming into the world and going into my sport as uh, with how to just view competing but how to view myself like it was their number one goal when I was growing up to make sure that my sister and I um, had a very high self-esteem that was like their number one concern right yep so I think when you have that kind of influence around you and those two important the two most important people in your life are constantly trying to make sure you have high self-esteem and they're a good member of society um, when you apply that in combat sports you have a very strong foundation that you can build the skill set upon and you're not starting from scratch. Because then every single time I go into a competition, yeah, I'm confident in the match, but also with the after part is what matters. They made sure that we had a very high 
base level of self-esteem so that if I lost a tournament, I didn't lose my identity, you know, and that's what a lot of people deal with. And I've dealt with that in the micro ways and other ways in some big ways. So it's a crazy to imagine, like if I didn't have that baseline that they helped me build as a young kid, um, I don't know what would have happened because I was already incredibly hard on myself. I would get into really depressed, dark places after losses, just like so many elite athletes do. Mm -hmm. So I'm really grateful that they instilled what they did because without that, man, I don't know how I would have survived it. <laughs> yeah. Recently, um, you also talk about the importance of surround yourself with positive people and people that will lift you up. Uh, it's It's very important, but it's also very hard nowadays with social media where there is a lot of negativity. Uh, how you deal with that, how you channel this positivity into your life and why are you able to isolate so many you know, bad comments and things like that? Yeah, I, mean, I think it really comes down to consumption. We're at a such, high, such a high rate of consumption in so many ways. Um, consumption is really everything. It's the stuff that obviously the easy version is Instagram, TikTok, Facebook. Who are you following? What are you reading? Like, make sure you cleanse that, and that is not putting stuff into your brain that makes you feel worse. Like, it should be uplifting and positive. And sometimes that doesn't mean like some like fake positivity. Like, you can have people talk about real issues, but be on the up and up of like solutions and things like that. So, that's number one, but also like podcasts, TV, movies, things of that nature. But the most important, in my opinion, is the people you spend your time with, like you are consuming them. You're consuming their words, you're consuming what they share with you, their behaviors, their attitudes, their energy. And so the best way, in my opinion, to start to feel more positive yourself or be in a better place yourself is to first adjust your consumption and look at what you're taking in. Because we are community-based beings right and so everything that is around us we are like attaching ourselves to in micro ways there's healthy attachment unhealthy attachment obviously so that's kind of a different conversation but attachment is not a bad thing when it's you know with things that are positive for us and so and i mean you can't totally love unattached like there's an unhealthy version of that but you can love in an attached way so if you're with people that you love you want to make sure that like again what you're taking in is bringing you up rather than bringing you down and I also want to say that we're human everyone has down times like when I posted this a lot of people were commenting and messaging me like oh, okay got it I won't hang out with anybody who ever goes through anything bad or, like I was like man come on like I literally say in the video like people have problems yeah. you know like of course like I have been so deeply supported when I've gone through bad things when hard things yeah. and, and tough times I've had people stick by me when I was not the most positive person to be around right I was dealing with my own stuff but the general sense of it is do these people make my life better or do they make my life worse right or do I want to be more like them or do I not want to be like them And so for me, I had to really audit my life and say, I am very intentionally only spending time with people I want to be more like. Unless sometimes I'm in a teaching position or a coach or whatever, that's like a separate, you decide you're going to do some sort of mentorship or things like that. But for the most part, I really only spend quality time with people I want to be more like yeah. in one way or the other. You know, yeah. and there's an interchange there. They might not want to be more like my um, career, but maybe they want to be more like my relationships with my family or I might want to be more I might not want to be more like them 
lifestyle wise, but I want to be more like, there's so many different examples, right? Mm-hmm. That, that wasn't a good example, but you know, there's people give and take. I get it. I get it. Ways. Yep. Yep. Because uh, jujitsu is, is almost like work for you. So there is the whole concept of work-life balance. So that you also need to unplug from the sports and from everything to, to live your own life, your own stuff. And it's very important to keep that balance. Yeah, to be honest, I I don't have a ton of friends that are elite jiu-jitsu and MMA athletes. I have and or wrestling athletes. I have a couple, but for the most part, like for me that's work and I have some close friends in the industry, but a lot of my my really close friends are not in the industry at all and they're I'm alike with them in different ways outside of just jiu-jitsu or competing or MMA or wrestling, right? So that's an important thing too, but my I do feel like work-life balance for me, like a lot of what I do is jujitsu related, even different parts of my work are jujitsu related, right? But it's more like chasing the parts of it that you really like and that feel good for you. Like for example, for me, I taught for years and years and years full time. I liked uh, I liked the lifestyle at the time, but then something started to shift and I didn't really like teaching so much. So for a while I kept doing it and I realized that it was really, really draining me and I stopped really enjoying jiu-jitsu as much and so I had to pull back from my teaching and I started doing more business management and I started doing other things and I run a couple of schools so I leaned more into that instead of teaching and we hired new people so being able to stick with your passions but but let go of the parts that you like can let go of when they are draining you rather than filling your cup and that really is like one of those things with consumption again or like attachments it's like just the sense of like being grateful for the life that you have and then having the self-awareness to tap into what you like and what you don't like and then or and who you like and who you don't like what lifts you up what brings you down those kinds of things and having the courage to go in that direction and I had it was like courageous for me to stop teaching because that was a really great source of income it was exactly what I had done for so long I knew that my students were counting on me. And so I had to do it in a responsible way and slowly kind of phased out. But that was really, really difficult. And uh, it was the best thing that I ever did. Or even now, like in jujitsu, I could still be, even though I'm injured, like I could be trying to go around and teach seminars and do privates and be like, oh, I just need to make some money. But that wouldn't make me happy. Yeah. And so it's like, it might be scary, scary to start new projects, but um, but that's what I'm going to do because it's exciting. Yeah, you and know, you are, ex- you are exploring new things, exploring new skills, developing new skills, and open up the opportunity to do new things. I think that's great. I think that diversifying your portfolio is extremely important in you doing that. Yeah, exactly. That's what I feel about like commentating and interviewing and all the stuff that I'm doing in that arena as well. I didn't know how much I was going to like it when I started. And there also have been things that I've started and then I didn't like, even though they were lucrative. I was just like, you know what, this is not the thing for me. This is not what I want to do. And um, I think there's a there's this thing by Gary Vee that I find really interesting where he's like, procrastination isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's like teaching you what you you don't like or what you're not as talented in or what you don't want to do and so that's really good information instead of beating yourself up about it it's like is there a way I can outsource this can I hire somebody to do this can I get support should I be doing something else instead should I totally pivot and there 
are a lot of different varying solutions there, but I think that's something that I've followed really, really closely. Um, so for example, like with my podcast now, there's parts of it that I'm not that talented in, there's parts of it that I don't enjoy. And so I, uh, my, it's funny, Sula is my, who you emailed with. Yeah, yeah. She's like one of my best friends in the whole world. She just won the Nogi Heroes today, by the way. She's incredible. <laughs> she is great. <laughs> so she's she one is of my great. best friends. But she started uh, first assisting me then started kind of like managing me and now we're almost like partners really like she we're so interconnected but I hired her to outsource a lot of the stuff that she's talented in that I'm not right so that's another way you can but even though that was a leap for me financially because I run the jiu-jitsu school so I'm, I'm very familiar with hiring in business but I had never well I'd had like some lower level hires I had never hired someone for as many hours like that like a like a real position um until her and that was a leap for me to do that uh, and it was a little bit scary, like, oh, am I, is this going to work? Or, but it, what it has done is it's freed up, going back to being positive and passionate and all that stuff, it's freed up so much of my time and my energy and my mind that I am do a much better job at the things that I'm doing, and it's opened up my capacity to do more. Um, and I get to support her in that process. But so you're still, you still managing your social media, right? That's you, not her. Yes, yes. I manage the social media, so that's me. Um, anytime it's social, it's me. And I don't see that changing because it's important to me for that to be me. Stay connected. Um, stay connected. Yeah. 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 Stay connected. The whole reason, like, I, people ask about social media growth and stuff, and I'm like, man, I don't have any like tips and tricks because the truth is, I've always just used Instagram kind of as like a personal journal. <laughs> <laughs> I literally just go on and talk about what's going on in my head, and I think that people really connect to that. Yeah. And uh, now, and that's why it's fun for me. Now there is one thing that you said many times. Um, in in your uh, Instagram about feeling good with your own skin, and um, you always mm -hmm. preach about that, and mainly about women feeling good with their own skin. And um, someone that doesn't know you and see those posts, they're like, well, sh of course she is like is the the uh, Queen K. She has all these followers. She has all these titles, accolades, and everything. Of course, she's going to feel great with her skin. But I think that you are going to a much deeper discussion there. Can you elaborate more why you always bring that up? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that people have this this false sense of like successful people having this, pers this one persona all the time, right? And so it's not to say that I don't go into feeling like really confident and happy and un like untouchable like I'm on top of the world yeah I have that sometimes like like if for example and I love this shit video that was one of those times <laughs> I was like man I feel like just unstoppable right now but at the same time um I would say that some of the most like successful or high achieving people also know like the darkest lows as well a lot of times those kind of extremes you can't only get one and not get the other it's like a it's like a pen it's a there's a metaphor about it I can't think of the right word but it's kind of like a seesaw right like what goes up must come down and so you have to like if you want to live in really high highs you have to know that there are going to be lows it's not to say that like oh you're inevitably going to be depressed <laughs> but it's just you know accepting that you don't get one extreme and not have anything else either so um I also think that on especially on social media and just media in general it's really easy to be fooled into thinking that one, that people feel the same way all the time because that's what they're portraying. And I don't, a lot of people really get upset about that and they're like, people should talk about their insecurities more and they shouldn't always try to like act so fake and pose and things like that. But the truth is, man, like 
when I log on to social media, I know what I'm getting myself into. I know that I'm opening that up and I'm seeing curated things and I'm seeing one version of a person. And so I think if we have that self-responsibility when we log in, that we should be able to filter that for ourselves. And whatever people feel like putting out there, they should put out there. Like it's honestly, um, it's a very vulnerable thing to talk about insecurities and stuff on social media or to post things where you don't look so flattering or doing that kind of stuff. Because whenever I do, I get tons of hate. I get tons of insults because there are people out there who see any kind of crack in the veneer and they like dive into it and they try to, to like, that's really sad, but, that, but that's just the truth. And I feel really sad for those people. I have a lot of compassion and be, empathy for them because like to, very, very genuinely because I would really hate to be in that position where I would feel that way. Just, it's very sad, right? Can't imagine, but so I don't ever feel like, oh, anyone else needs to do that because um, it's, it's not easy. It's a lot to ask. Like we don't, oh, we don't like owed that by people, mm -hmm. right? So that's why I try to share just to say like, I feel like I can take the negative aspects that come with it. And it's important to me that people know that when they're looking at somebody there's a lot more going on behind the scenes because also like nobody shows you when they're sitting at home eating leftover pizza on the couch in like their pajamas like you don't see that but we all do that you know <laughs> like whatever somebody is doing at home is their own human existence yeah yeah whoever you're looking at on social media or in media or on tv is doing the same shit mm -hmm. like that needs to be widely widely understood so that when people look up to people and say, oh, I want to accomplish this thing that they did, or I want to do what he's doing, they feel like a sense of relation of like, oh, I can do that too, because they're just like me. Yeah. Instead of saying like, oh, they must be so different. They're so special. They have something that I don't. It, that's not yes. the case. So that's why I like to talk about it a lot to just say like, no, we're the same. Like, don't get confused. Like, don't get it twisted. Like everybody, we are all one. We're all made of the same stuff. So I think that's why it's important to talk about, but I also don't feel like anyone should feel pressured to do that because it is a vulnerable thing. Yeah, but again, you you are very transparent, and I love the way that you deal with uh, with haters uh, with your replies because you are extremely polite, and uh, that the fact that you are polite when you reply just shuts down every argument. So I I, I love it, yeah. and I saw one. I'm not gonna mention. But I saw one. Uh, yes, just yesterday uh, that you were comment commenting yeah. and uh, the, your reply was amazing. I'm not going to give audience to this person, <laughs> but I read your reply and it was fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, I don't always do it. Sometimes it's better to ignore, but sometimes I'm like, hey, you know what? Maybe this could be helpful. <laughs> or not even for that person, but maybe somebody who feels like I do, who's going to be hurt by that comment because they identify with me or whatever it reminds me of something, like they can see that and be like, oh, okay, I don't actually need to be insulted by this person. Like I could feel compassion, like, man, that's actually really sad. Not in like a, uh, like a self-righteous, like fake, like, oh, I feel bad for you kind of way, like very, almost like virtue signaling, but like in a real genuine way, like if you think about it, like, man, I would hate to be that person. Yeah. Like that's really unfortunate. And, um, And yeah, so I think sometimes it's worth responding with a, with a little bit of <laughs> politeness and truth. Yeah, no, I know that you are about to leave, so I just want to uh, ask a last question. Uh, are you walking uh, pain-free? Are you able to, to move without pain? How, how's uh, your state right now? Yeah, so I have almost all of my range of motion back, not quite as far as like bending and straightening. Um, I can walk pretty pain-free, but if I walk for longer than like 10 minutes, then 
it will get a little bit sore. So I have to do a lot of elevating, a lot of icing still. And uh, I can do like an air squat, which is really amazing, but not with weight yet. And I can do a little bit of exercise. So just in the last two weeks, I've gotten back to being able to move a little bit more and, and get sweaty, which is so nice. I got on the elliptical for the first time last oh, week. So that was cool. really great. Yeah, so we're so we're getting there. Thank you. Uh, Kendall, thank you very much for squeezing in this time at the airport here in Dallas. I'm also in Dallas. <laughs> Uh, so it's uh, really cool to, to have you here again um, keep your recovery keep us updated good luck on your podcast I have no doubt that it will be extremely successful uh, as everything you do and uh, we are looking forward to seeing the mats with all the, the you know these enthusiasm that you bring to every fight awesome Yuri thank you so much thanks for having me Absolutely. on take care have a safe flight